0: Welcome back to the New England Baseball Journal podcast. I'm your host, Dan Guttenplan. Despite the fact that baseball remains on hold in the New England region, we have plenty of insight and analysis to share with you. Two New England natives were selected in the MLB draft this year. We'll break down those selections and take a look ahead to 2021. We're also expecting baseball games to be played in July, with a 40 games future league season starting as well as seasons for various summer programs and youth leads. We will welcome two guests to this podcast. The first is Red Sox Regional Scouting Director Ray Fagnant, who is in charge of scouring the New England region for talent. He will break down the New England scouting scene and talk about the Red Sox draft selections and free agent signings. Our second guest is Northeast Baseball founder, Scott Patterson. Three former Northeast Baseball players were selected in the top 57 selections of the 2020 MLB Draft. That makes 10 former Northeast Baseball players who have been selected in the top 100 picks since 2017. Scott Patterson talks about his program's developmental system and what's on tap for travel ball this summer. For more on any of these topics, you can visit the New England Baseball Journal website at baseballjournal.com. Let's get right to the interview with Ray Fagnant. Ray Fagnant has been the Northeast Area Scout for the Boston Red Sox for the last 27 years. The former Holyoke Catholic High School baseball legend has helped the Red Sox front office staff build four World Series champion rosters. The first player he signed was Lou Merloni, who played nine seasons in the big leagues. He also signed pitchers Manny Del Carmen and Carl Pavano, who was later traded to Montreal in 1997 in a deal that brought future Hall of Famer Pedro Martinez to Boston. Ray helped develop the annual Summer Rivalry Classic for high school prospects and also coaches the Northeast Regional Team at the Area Code Games and East Coast Pro Showcase. Ray, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, Dan. Happy to be here.
1: It's only my second Zoom call of the day, so I'm still fresh right now.
0: Okay. Well, good to have you. I remember uh, we spoke right after uh, right after the season came to an abrupt end in March, and you had three sons at home, one of whom plays at Amherst, and the other two will be in high school this next year. How, how did everyone survive the pandemic?
1: It's hard to believe. I remember that conversation. That's hard to believe. It was only in March. You know, only three months ago. It seems like an eternity, but It's been great. You know, the silver lining obviously has been, you know, a lot of family time together, but uh, they've really embraced the opportunity to practice and get a lot of work done on their own. So, you know, a lot of times I'll hear uh, a racket in the basement at 2 a.m. where they're down there lifting weights or playing basketball in the driveway at 2 or 3 or hitting off the tee, but kind of just taking advantage of it like a lot of of other people have. You know, whatever work we're doing now, you know, we can uh, put some ahead of everybody else. Besides the fact it's been fun.
0: Yeah, it's it's pretty cr- I I didn't it felt like that was a lo- a longer time ago, too, because I went back and looked at that conversation. I guess the one thing you had said was, hey, regardless of what happens, uh, 1200 kids are going to get selected in this draft. And that's <laughs> it didn't didn't quite work out that way. It was more like 160. Um, It was a light year like for New England guys. It, I guess it was nobody that was technically in our region because the two guys who are from new England, Jared Schuster from wake forest and Ian Seymour down at Virginia tech hadn't played their college ball here in the last few years. What did you make of the, of the draft? Were you surprised that new England wasn't well-represented?
1: I was not. Uh, and it's cyclic, you know, next year, obviously we all know there could be a dozen, you know, those top, you know, those top five rounds, but it's very cyclic. You never know where the talent is going to be geographically, geographically year to year, but you know, the way we approach this is we always operate as though the draft is literally tomorrow. So I remember last year, days after the draft, literally within 24 hours, we were submitting our summer follow list of players that we we're going to see that summer. And that kind of serves as our draft list if it were tomorrow. And at the end of the summer, after, you know, we have the benefit, of all the, you know, East Coast Pro, we area code, all the summer events, we kind of put together at that point our fall follow list. And that very, very clearly resembles our draft list for you know however many, six months later or what have you. So when I pulled up my draft list that I put together this spring for our final phone calls or, and final you know, discussions about these players, it was near identical to that which I had at the end of August. So it's always pretty true to form. By the end of August, we've already got a pretty good read of how these players are going to line up because we have... Such an extensive history on the high school kids. You know, we'll have seen them at these major events. We'll have PG National. You know, the Baseball Factory Game, the Perfect Game, All Star Game. So many different things. And the college players will have the benefit of the Cape Cod League, the New England Collegiate League. And that isn't to say we aren't constantly fine tuning that between the fall and the summer and the spring. Rather, you know, obviously, you'd love to have the benefit of the actual spring season, which is kind of like the crux of our scouting, but. The list was pretty true to form, Um, and the fact that everybody was in the same boat, you know, it was a level playing field, but there were no surprises. I kind of, going into the season, did not anticipate, you know, anybody, at very least in the top three, but there were some kids, you know, maybe I thought I had, had a chance of being four or five because, you know, kids will always take a jump that spring, what have you. But for the most part, you know, our list in, you know, June at the end of May was kind of true to form we had at the beginning of the season
0: yeah I saw uh, I think Harold Call who was a area code games guy he ended up playing down in Georgia this spring and then I think Josh Baez was recently you know at some PBR events or perfect game events uh, in Georgia as well did you get a chance to scout anybody in New England or that there was no chance to do that before the draft this year was there in the spring I mean
1: not high school kids, but any event where high school kids were playing, our guys were there. I don't know. And Alex Santos, for instance, was one. Uh, he pitched down in Hoover, Alabama in March. You know, we're there. But we we saw Harold wherever he played. You know, our, our Georgia guy was there. But mm-hmm. in terms of the colleges, you know, deceptively, about a third of the season was played. Yeah. You know, we got those five weekends in. I, I spent five weeks in Florida. So I got a pretty good read. We got a pretty good read on the college players. And, again, we have such – Extensive systems in terms of video, you know, Synergy was a huge tool for us this spring and a lot of the analytics and when I say analytics, that's a term that's really misunderstood nowadays, you know, to most people, it's, you know, their impression of analytics is, you know, somebody in the dark room up in Boston looking at stats and box scores, but the reality, these analytics it's such a broad-range topic, but the ones we specifically, we have so much access to, you know, literally every pitch that was thrown in the college season this year, and we could watch all the video and we could break it down. You know, how many, for instance, I got a call on one pitcher. You know, advisor you call me about a pitcher, and we're talking about him, and I said, you know, what's still most important, what is still the primary determinant and the driver in, in selecting players is, you know, good old-fashioned scouting, if you will you know, what do you think of this player? Do you like him? Is he projectable? All sorts of things. But we can look at things, and one specifically is a pitcher, and we saw that he threw 76 breaking balls this spring. And 50 – I'm sorry, 78 breaking balls, 58 were balls, 20 were strikes, and he had one swing and miss. So that's a telling statistic, had one swing and miss and 78 breaking balls. And, you know, the scouting element comes in there, well, you know, why is that? Is this something that we can fix? Does he have some projectability in his breaking ball? But, again, it's using the tools that we had to make really, you know, fine, fine, you know, evaluations of these guys. And, you know, we would have liked to have had the benefit of seeing them all play in a full season's worth of games, but we had really good tools at our disposal to make really, you know, really accurate and really meaningful evaluations in in most of these instances And, and probably more so than any other year. I know there's some players on my list where because of the video systems we had, I was able to see literally every one of their at-bats, we were able to see the analytics of all their at-bats. I was able to look at a pitcher, you know, one of the pitchers we took that we signed you know the last couple of days, Jordan DiValerio, who was a right-hand pitcher out of St. Joe's in PA. You know, in a typical year, I'd have probably seen him throw it two, three times, but the luxury and I don't even want to use the term luxury, but the resource we had this spring was I could really go back and see every pitch that he threw. You know, I saw I, I I in depth looking at all 388 pitches, you know, really breaking down these pitches, breaking down the situation. And we look at, you know, the 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 actual physical analytics and the science of each pitch. So in essence, you know, not being in a car driving, you know six or seven hours a day going to these games, we took advantage of the time that we had and really got in-depth with a lot of these guys. Again, we wouldn't want to do it again. You know, we not want to go out and see these guys, but we took advantage of what we had. We in constant communication with the office. Uh, we had great leadership uh, going through the draft, went Frank from the top down with, uh, you know, Haim, and then, you know, with Brian O'Halloran getting really involved and Scouting Director Paul Taboni, keeping everybody really involved where we had frequent Zoom meetings. We even had things like on Tuesday night, if you will, social hours with the scouts where we were, able, we were able to stay engaged, but we talked about players and kind of kept each other, uh, you know, kind of kept each other sane and talked about what we were doing, the processes that we we're going through, you know, analyzing players. So, we absolutely made the most out of it we think it turned out to be in light of everything that went on was was productive was very productive we like who we drafted we like who we've signed
0: that's great yeah i remember aaron savali was kind of a guy that took off a couple summers ago as uh you know everybody was um once you looked at the analytics when he was down on the cape and the spin track you know and everything else it seemed like he took off then. And then he had a great junior year, and then I think I don't. I want to say he went in the second or third round eventually. Third round, really good draft. Yeah. Yeah, and he's been on a kind of a fast track since then, all the way up to the majors. But um, who do you think? I mean, there's always guys like that who kind of take off at the last minute, right before the draft, and they their stock goes way up. Um, who who of the New England players do you think was negatively impacted the most by a shortened draft this year, a five round draft?
1: You know, I I, I probably wouldn't be prudent to get into specific players or what have you, but there were some guys that jumped maybe from last summer and we had the opportunity to see a lot of these guys indoors. So you know, I, I did, there were a couple guys that you know, be, you know be going into the spring, we're kind of on that bubble that uh, we really take advantage of that, that downtime in the winter too to see these guys because these colleges ramp up so quickly. Mm -hmm. And they do such a good job of getting these guys really in game shape early. So, you know, as soon as middle 10 January, we're able to see these guys in in game conditions Mm -hmm. and obviously follow them down south. But um, like I said, it kind of it kind of went true to form. And and Aaron is a uh, he's an interesting case that you bring up because he really came into prominence the summer after his sophomore year had the great performance at the Cape, uh, and we were able to reach out to some of his Cape coaches and really, really talk about him. And there's an example where, you know, Aaron is from two towns over from me in uh, you know, East, East Windsor, Connecticut. And over Christmas break, I was able to go see him work out. And I remember bringing my boys with me. There's a local batting cage bringing my boys with me there a couple times. And I remember, you know, when he's watching Aaron pitch on TV, and I said, hey, boys, remember? That was Aaron. That's the one we went and saw when we went to batting cages. But, you know, he's an example of somebody that we did work on before the season started over the winter. So we had a good, pretty good profile, a pretty good idea of what he was going into that season. But the, like I said, so for the most part, the colleges kind of played out kind of as we expected. And we we're able to get some, we we're able to get some good ones, you know, in the free agent signing period.
0: Yeah, I was looking at a, we just did a story on baseballjournal.com on some guys who have signed as undrafted free agents and it doesn't seem to be the guys who might have otherwise gone in you know the 6 to 10 round range uh, a lot of those guys seem to be going back to school or transferring it seems to be guys that maybe it was their senior year and they would have been a senior sign anyway and maybe don't want to go back for a fifth year it, what what is kind of the profile of the guys that you guys that you're looking for to sign as undrafted free agents I, I know, uh,
1: just speaking for myself, I was able to get two good ones. Um, again, Jordan DiValerio, who was a right-hand pitcher out of St. Joe's, and he's somebody that's just been steadily good. Mm-hmm. And he was a senior, but, uh, you know, we would have had as much interest in him as, you know, if if, if he was a junior and one, Jake, Jake McKenzie um, from Fordham. He had a really good – he's a junior, and he had theoretically two more years. Mm-hmm. Two more, You know, he's, he's going to be a senior next year, but theoretically two more years of eligibility. But I think guys recognized that – and there were some names kind of nationwide that I was a little bit su- not surprised that they signed because they recognized the value of starting their professional career, especially independent of COVID-19, you know, in terms of the changes that are potentially going to take place in, in professional baseball next year. But I think some of these guys saw the value of, you know, starting their career with some degree of certainty because not knowing what's going to happen next year. Yeah, some of those names I did see some um, – you know, maybe some lower, you know, guys that probably weren't as highly projected or what have you going into the going to the season. I think the common denominator with some of those guys, what I love, a lot of Division two II and three guys, the common denominator with them was performance. You know, I feel at like their stats; it was pretty, pretty apparent looking at those guys. But uh, for the most part, the guys that we targeted, you know, we were able to get signed, and just in terms of that process we targeted a very, very small number of guys. Uh, we've signed 10 so far. You know, we may not sign any more. I know there's organizations that signed two or three. And that was the intent of some organizations. But our intent was just to get the best possible players we can get. And there was no urgency. I don't know if that's the right word or necessity. But we're not filling out, unfortunately, not filling out, you know, Gulf Coast League roster, New York Penn League rosters, So, we're kind of planning for next year, but that said, every player that we did sign, there is definitely a player development plan in place for them this year. Even, you know, It's not going to be, unfortunately, at Lowell next week or in the Gulf Coast League in two weeks, but there's a player development plan in place for them where uh, even – we you see, because we are not going to be constrained by any sort of academic schedule. If it means bringing them together in August for five or six weeks or having an expanded instructional league in September and October, we can do that. Or even, you know, meeting players regionally. We've done that during the winter before where we'll designate, we'll maybe have five, six spots around the country where our strength and, our strength and conditioning people will go in, we'll bring in guys regionally, we'll have workouts. So even something like that. But we have a clearly defined player development plan for them over the summer. And obviously during the fall and winter. So I think these guys, you know, a lot of players recognize the value of going out this year where it's going to really start them on their career.
0: Yeah. The, uh, oh, whoop. Yeah. One thing I noticed uh, during the draft when the Red Sox made their first round selection, a lot of people were saying this was a guy who was ranked a little bit lower on some boards and maybe they were trying to save some money uh, to spend. Later, but they only had four, you know, the Red Sox only had four picks this year. How, what, how did the, what was the strategy for the, for the four draft picks before you got to the undrafted free agent portion of um, targeting guys?
1: It's always to get the best player you can. And, you know, there is a strategy with some teams where maybe take somebody that you could get for a little bit under slot that probably wasn't projected to go as high as they did, but it worked out perfectly. And it's interesting. You know, to kind of look at the dynamic of the industry because we've got the lists from the, you know, the obligatory lists from the pundits and saying this is how they're ranked and people are doing their work, this is how they should go. But um, I think we were able to, you know, beat, some, beat the industry on, on Nick. He's somebody that did not, you know, I believe, I don't think he played his junior year because he had, you know, he had shoulder surgery. And then this year, obviously, kind of a short season with, with the high school, but we had a very good process with him where Josh Lavendera, our area scout out there who played in the big leagues with big leagues the Marlins, knew him very well, knew the family very well. And this is somebody that um, was not on of, not, not of radars because he didn't do all the obligatory events. And I think that was true scouting. And it was interesting to see you know, after the draft, even that night, you know, uh, um, Tim Corbin saying, hey, this was, he, he said when he was asked, and he said specifically, this is my favorite pick of the entire draft. He said, this is somebody that we, we actively recruited, we really wanted, and we're, we weren't able to get him, and we thought that he was the best high school bat in the country. And somebody who was in the studio at MLB, you know, MLB Network you know, texted me the next day and said, we're so excited we took him because that's somebody that we had been talking about for the last week. And to see him go off the board, you know, it was just tremendous. We were we were so happy for him. And, you know, looking back, it was interesting. You know, when baseball, America put out that list. You know, they, they always have their lists. And they had one like the morning of the draft, you know, 10 sleepers, if you will. And he was very prominently listed. But, you know, it's like they might have gotten, they might have heard the buzz a little bit that we're on him. But the whole dynamic of the draft worked out well. So maybe, and again, I don't know the exact finances, but we got Nick and and I think, what, the one thing that everybody just needs to know and understand, knowing that we didn't have a second-round pick, how valuable that first-rounder is. And with that in mind, you know, we saw fit to take Nick. And he's a bat, and like I said, a lot of people considered him the best high school bat in the country. So we got a good one there. And maybe it opened up, again, I don't know what the financial particulars are, but maybe it opened up a little bit where we are able to get Blaze Jordan. And obviously, you know, everybody's aware of Blaze because he's one of those guys that we consider, one of you know, the term in scouting, I guess, is he's famous. You know, because he's literally been a name since he was 12 or 13 years old. And again, our scout, in, uh, our scout down there in Mississippi, Danny Watkins, who signed uh, Mookie Betts, You know, he's just so good down there. He's known him since he was 12 years old. He's got a very good relationship with that team. Both Blaze and Mookie played for um, Doolin Dodgers, an amateur team down there, with with who Danny has a very good relationship. So we're able to get him. And right down the line, you know, uh, Jeremy Ewaldon from Hawaii. Again, this is testimony to our process where we saw so much of him last summer in the Cape Cod League. Got a lot of looks on him. And again, like I said, we operate as though the draft is tomorrow. Uh, so we really want to do as much as we can, you know, at that moment in time, whenever that snapshot is. But we got a lot of people at the Cape. We put tremendous credence in, in the value of the Cape. And we got a lot of looks there. And we saw he's kind of an elite guy. And so happy for J.J. Altabelli to get him, you know, this uh, in the draft. And, you know, we kidded J.J. He has the uh, unenviable task. Of having to fly to Hawaii and sign up. Yeah, yeah. So we all told him, hey, take your time out there, enjoy it. But uh, glad for JJ to get him. And then Johan, the big lefty from Florida State, I had gotten a call, you know, getting towards the end of the draft about one or two players I might have a shot at. But Johan became available with that fifth pick. We didn't know he'd be there. We didn't anticipate him being there. So to get him, you know, that's another bonus. But, you know, Haim and Paul Taboni and Mike Ricker Devin Pearson, they're just. Every one of them, they're very, just very happy with the draft and the, you know, the free agent process was just a whole other thing in and of itself. We targeted, we were very, very strategic and precise about targeting the guys we wanted and we had a list of players and went out and, you know, got most of the guys we wanted. It was a very concentrated list and, you know, that process was a lot of fun, but I'm happy with the, I'm very happy with the two guys that I got.
0: That's great. Yeah, no, I like the attitude of those guys, especially Nick. You know, I read him. There were some people criticizing the pick like it was too early, and he seemed to have a really good attitude about it and seems motivated. So, uh, it's you know, I don't get to see any of those guys that are in different areas of the country, but it was when you read the quotes, it was kind of exciting to see. He seemed to have the right attitude about it. What about, so you say, it, you know, you, you scout these guys as if the draft, if it happened tomorrow, you could take them. 2021, uh, to me, looks pretty promising from a New England perspective. Uh, Patrick Winkle, you know, hopefully he comes back healthy next year at UConn. You know, he's a great catcher and obviously a great hitter. Cody Morris at BC could be, you know, he seems like he'd be a guy that would go in the top five rounds. Sal Frelick, too. And then Josh Baez at Dexter is kind of a freak athlete and, you know, mm-hmm. p- power hitter. What, what, what do you see as you look ahead to 2021?
1: It's going to be a really good year. It's really exciting. You know, just the... Just, you know, so far opposite from this year. Like we talked about, there were no New England kids in the top five rounds, but, I mean, there could be, shoot, there could be a dozen next year. That's why it's just cyclic. There's no rhyme or reason year to year. But, you know, you mentioned that at those BC guys and, you know, add, you know, Puglio to that list. You know, he's uh, seen some of his workouts, you know, online and social media. He's been thrown very well. And I've been, you know, talked to Mike Gambino a couple of times about him. We've kind of shared, you know, snapshots of him and, and, you know, BC's got a couple other good arms. You mentioned Pat Winkle, somebody that we've liked literally since he was a high school freshman at the Summer Rivalry. You know, I remember that vividly. It was one of the few years we didn't have it at Fenway. It was at Pawtucket. And we brought Pat in there, and he had just finished his freshman year. And I remember my wife being there. And she's a very astute, you know, follower of the game and a, a, a tremendously accurate, discriminating eye when it comes to scouting. And it's just funny because I remember during that game she texted me and she said, that kid number 38, that's the best player on the field right now. <laughs> and it's interesting. Looking back, you know, we had Nolan Jones. We had first-rounders on that field, you know, that were three years older than him. But, you know, Pat stood out from freshman year. And we've followed him closely for the last couple of years, obviously. And, you know, it be interesting to see how he does next year. But there is a lot of good kids for next year. So that's why the East Coast Pro – um area codes will be really interesting the pg national and the the uh, futures league the futures collegiate league is taking huge prominence now because you know they've kind of picked up uh, on unfortunately where the cape and the uh necbl as we know we're not able to uh you know in the summer that those rosters are going to be stocked and you know my son's with new britain right now and uh it's like he's coming home every day and saying, "Hey, you won't believe this kid we added today to the roster. He showed up and he was throwing ninety six today." Yeah. But the futures league is going to have a lot. It's going to be a record year, bumper crop for the uh, the futures league for next year's draft. But they've added a lot of good players.
0: Yeah. Uh, now, will you have? Uh, I know when we spoke, probably a couple of weeks ago, you didn't know if you'd be able to have tryouts for the area code games or have scrimmages with the futures league. What, what's the plan for that for this summer in the East Coast Pro Showcase? It's going to be well the the uh, the East Coast Pro.
1: You know, I technically, I guess, theoretically, haven't haven't um, selected the team, but you know, we've had numerous conference calls and Zoom calls with you know our crew, if you will. You know, my my coaches and you know there's gonna be a lot. There's always a lot of overlap with the uh, the area codes as well. But uh, and you know, Maddie does a great job with the area codes, and they've all been been, been they've all but been picked. But uh, so we'll have – we won't be able to have tryouts like usual. But even when we have those tryouts, big part of that is just to give kids the benefit of being seen. And, and we go in so – a lot of that, you know, these guys are picked in advance because we have the benefit of previous years and multi- previous multiple years of, of experience or scouting seeing these guys. You know, the last three, four years we've had the Erie Code Underclass where – our underclass team for all practical purposes, that's 90% of the team for next year. So we're working years in advance so we can, uh, and again, we've had conference calls with the East coast pro with John Castlebury and, and the, uh, the executive board there where we've kind of been submitting, um, kind of submitting rosters, anticipating not being able to have tryouts, but uh You know, things opening up now a little bit, you know, when we we have the teams picked or, you know, we'll have some workouts like we always do. We might have a a scrimmage or two with the Futures League, but, you know, we'll be ready to go on, uh, you know, August 2nd in uh, Hoover, Alabama. And we're, uh, that is 99% on. Uh, A couple differences this year just in terms of of the logistics, how we're going to run that in terms of players getting down there. Um, The -the on-the-field stuff will be the same, but... Whereas one of the good components of East Coast Pro, whether it's, there's a team hotel, there's a team bus, the clubhouse, you know, the team meals, we really run that like it's a professional organization, a minor league team. We run it like it's like that for five, six days. But we're going to encourage players to drive down there um, to avoid flying, but they're going to be responsible for their own accommodations, kind of like a summer college tournament. But that's the kind of provision we have to make in able to in, in order to be able to have it. But it'll still be a very productive event. It's going on in the same time frame, which is nice. So we'll be able to plan the summer accordingly. East Coast Pro looks like, and again, I just I just got off a, a call with some people and looks like that is going the 99% chance of that happening, but just not in August. It may be in the fall, it might be in September, October, but we're gonna be able to get that together. So these high school kids will have the chance to be seen. Majority of the higher profile college kids in the Northeast that would have been at the Cape, you know, they're gonna be playing in the futures league. So we'll be able to see them as well. So, you know, there might be a year or two of, you know, maybe a year or two hangover of, you know, the COVID-19 impact on the draft went forward the next couple of years before it kind of really returns to normal. But I think by next year's college season rolling into the regular summer process next year, I think it'll come back to normal, you know, sooner rather than later.
0: Yeah, let's hope so. That'd be, I mean, I think we're all eager to have a pretty – regular baseball season and have it come back to normal. So, um, we're, we're hoping for the same thing. Well, Ray, I really appreciate you taking the time. It's been great. You're always so generous with your time. So, um, thank you so much for being a guest on the podcast and we'll, I'm going to follow up with you about some of those, uh, tournaments later this summer.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Always fun. And thank you for what you do with the New England, you know, New England baseball journal. It's such a, uh, Something that we really look forward to, both as an industry, seeing what's going on. It's a great source of information and very entertaining. Give us something to look at. We really, we appreciate your efforts as well. Thank you.
0: Well, thanks so much. I appreciate you saying that. Hey, everyone. If you're just discovering New England Baseball Journal through our podcast, be sure to check us out online at baseballjournal.com. Where you'll find daily content on the New England baseball scene with in-depth coverage on preps, high school, the youth game, college baseball, MLB draft, college commitments, the minors, summer leagues, and the pros, and a whole lot more. Right now, you can get an all-access plan, which includes unlimited access to our daily website, plus every issue of our print magazine delivered to your home, office, dorm, or clubhouse. For only $99.99 per year. It's simple. Just log on to BaseballJournal.com and click on the subscribe button to find the subscription that's right for you. And get in the game with New England Baseball Journal. It's time to go Around the Diamond. The New England Baseball Journal's Around the Diamond segment will include some quick hit stories and nuggets from around the regional baseball scene. The biggest news we're tracking on the New England Baseball Journal website, baseballjournal.com, is the fallout from the MLB draft. Two New England natives were selected in the draft. New Bedford, Massachusetts native Jared Schuster, a Wake Forest junior pitcher, was taken in the first round by the Atlanta Braves. Westborough, Massachusetts native Ian Seymour, a Virginia Tech junior pitcher, was selected in the second round by the Tampa Bay Rays. Since the draft, 10 New England players have signed as free agents. Those players include University of New Haven outfielder Matt Chamberlain, University of Rhode Island outfielder Jackson Couts, Northeastern right-handed pitcher Sam Jakobsik, Trinity outfielder Matt Koperniak, UConn pitcher Nick Krauth, Fordham infielder Jake McKenzie, Wheaton catcher Nick Raposo, BC outfielder Joe Swazi, Duke pitcher Thomas Girard, Central Connecticut State University outfielder T.T. Bowen. Congratulations to those players. Finally, a handful of undrafted players from New England firmed up their decisions for where to play next season at the college level. Former Harvard outfielder Jake Suttleson will transfer to Duke. Former Yale pitcher Benny Wanger is transferring to the University of Miami. Former Bryant catcher Gabby Cruz is on his way to southeastern Louisiana University. And former Holy Cross outfielder Ben Malgeri will take his talents to northeastern. For more on these stories and a host of other stories around the New England baseball scene, visit BaseballJournal.com. Northeast Baseball recently saw three of its players selected in the top 57 of the MLB draft, a rarity for any travel program, let alone one based out of New England. Northeast Baseball alumnus Jared Schuster, a New Bedford Mass native who was selected 25th overall by the Atlanta Braves, recently tweeted that Northeast Baseball is the best program in the country. Scott Patterson started Northeast Baseball in 2008 with a vision to expose players to as many college coaches as possible while playing the best competition possible. Scott joins us today on the New England Baseball Journal podcast. Scott, thanks for joining me. Hey, thanks for having me, Dan. Well, Scott, you guys uh, had a nice haul here in the 2020 MLB draft, which wasn't supposed to be a, a very, I guess, prolific draft for New England players. Uh, it got Obviously, the draft got cut down to five rounds, as everyone knows, and um, we didn't have anyone who was actually playing uh, the college baseball or even high school baseball in New England selected in those five rounds. But Northeast baseball uh, obviously had three. Now you started, I, I was looking through your bio and I, I saw that you coached the Florida Bomber Organization, which is the nation's number one ranked ranked summer program before you started Northeast baseball. What inspired you to start a program here in New England?
2: Oh, man. Um so I was coaching for the Florida bombers uh, down in Florida, obviously. And, uh, and we, we would recruit players from all over the country. And so I, I had recruited a player from up in this area, uh, by the name of Kyle McKenzie. Um, I'm not, I don't know if you're familiar. He used to play at Thayer Academy, ended up playing at Tulane and was drafted by the Tampa Bay Rays out of high school. But anyway, so we, I had recruited Kyle. Kyle came down and, and, uh, played with us one summer, um, and got to know Kyle and, and, and still talk to Kyle to, uh, to this day. And he, and he just recommended, Hey, like my wife is from new England. So he was, he was kind of mentioned, Hey, there's nothing in new England like this. Um, and that was just kind of the start of it. Uh, you know, my wife and I moved, uh, moved to new England. Uh, we opened a, a baseball facility and, and started a, a Northeast baseball. Um, and it, you know, it, once you get one good, player um you know it was kind of like a trickle down effect after we got kyle mckenzie uh Sawhill bloom who went to stanford after Sawhill bloom we had chris constantino drafted out of high school uh who went to uh walter state community college uh after him chris king who was going to coastal carolina so it's just it just kind of snowballed into you know hey we'll just have one team um into you know oh man we got four teams right away our first year so um that was kind of really how it started in 2008. I think there were only, you know, a few programs up here at that time. Um, and, uh, you know, we've obviously been able to uh, continue that snowball effect into, you know, have nine teams uh, as of today.
0: It's, a, it's pretty unbelievable. The, the success that you've had getting guys drafted, getting guys um, opportunities to play in college as well. I mean, that's yeah I was looking at the at your website. It seems like you know you have uh, an entire team of guys going off and playing college baseball every year. Now, we heard uh, so many people say New England players would be hurt by the shortened spring season and the and the shortened draft, obviously, when it switched to five rounds. Now, I know Jared schuster, he um, you know, he's been kind of a developmental guy over the years, and then all of a sudden kind of blew up on the cape last summer and had a really successful summer, and, you know, everybody all of a sudden was in on him, and he kind of took off, and well, he was a first-round pick this year. What what are kind of the other stories of your guys that got drafted this year? When did they kind of take off, and what was their development like? Yeah, I think every
2: every player's, obviously, their development is uh, significantly different. And, and, you know, first and foremost, our goal is to help them move on and play college baseball. Obviously, everybody has aspirations of playing professional baseball, but if you were to tell me, um, you know, five, six years ago when Jared was in our program at 15 years old that he was going to be the twenty fifth overall pick. I mean, nobody's gonna sit here and say, oh yeah, you know, well I'm sure somebody might, but I'm not gonna be that guy. You know, I thought he'd be a top ten rounder out of college and um, you know, he he, he this is this is what's so unique about New England players. Um, uh, you know, Jared's always been a plus athlete, you know, he's I think he's a six 60. You know, he's six foot three, um, you know, so a lot of those things just kind of lined up for him. He's a tremendous athlete and his velos spiked um, the last two years. And 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 out of high school, um, you know, he can command his fastball. He's probably, you know, 86 to, to 90 out of high school. So it's not like he was throwing 83 miles an hour. Um, but he really developed his secondary pitches uh, in college. And I think uh, his changeup is, is really what put him over the top.
0: Yeah, I saw Peter Gammons was tweeting about his changeup there right before the draft that somebody's going to love that fall in love with that pitch and end up taking him in the first round and uh, evidently that's what happened. Who are the other guys you uh from Northeast Baseball that got drafted this year? Yeah, so
2: a similar guy in um uh Ian Seymour dressed out of Virginia Tech and a left-handed pitcher who's velo just um you know a little obviously different players uh, Jared you know tremendous athlete ian's a good athlete too but um ian's the is the type of kid who just worked his way t- uh to to make himself into, into what he is today i mean again ian seymour out of high school 83 86 he was more of a pitch ability guy and i think like last week there was a uh an instagram video of him throwing 97. Uh, at our cages uh, on the wrap soto, so uh, and and the two things that uh, connect those guys, um, obviously being left-handed pitchers, are the changeup. You know, they both have plus changeups, uh, and I think that's what propelled him into. Um, and he's a he is a a bulldog man. That's that kid. That's the kid. You, uh, he'll fight you. You know, <laughs> he's he's my he's my kind of guy. So uh, and then, you know, it, it, you just put those those two players together. Uh, and, and you have two different players, but yeah, they have one common thing is that you know they can they they can control their fa- control their, two common things, control their fastball and and throw uh, a secondary pitch in any count. Um, you know those the two two tremendous players. And then the third kid that we that went 39th overall was Hudson Haskins, drafted out of high school out of Avon, Avon old, old Farms, um, was always that kid. Uh, you know I think that happens up here in New England a lot. He's just super toolsy. Didn't know if it was all going to connect, uh, and it all lined up for him. I mean, he's uh, he's a true. I think that they, uh, they mentioned in the draft. He's a he's a true five-tool guy. Um, and again, same same situation. I don't I don't think you, uh, um, you know, if you ask anybody if Hudson, Hudson Haskins is going to be a 39th overall pick out of uh, you know out of college, it would have been you know he's a right-handed hitting center fielder. Um, nobody would have jumped at that but he just he just popped man and he he works and that's the that is the biggest common denominator is these guys work their tails off all different players all different demeanors um, but they all work their tails off Two are, uh, you know Seymour or I mean uh, Schuster and, and Haskins are just plus plus athletes um, that uh, you know all lined up for him it could be more more proud of him
0: yeah, that's all. I didn't realize Seymour hit 97 on the radar. That's that's unbelievable. I did a story on him, uh, I want to say this winter sometime, and he was really crediting his he, – he had an okay – it was kind of a shaky freshman year, I guess. Sophomore year, he was much better, and he's been, you know, obviously just getting better and better, and a lot of it he credited to the fact he was seeing a psychiatrist or a psychologist and just really – learning to focus when he was, you know, every pitch on the mat. Cause you know, it's a grind when you're on there. And especially when you're Virginia tech has a tough schedule and, you know, they're playing really good teams. And if for just a minute, you lose your focus next, next thing, you know, it's three, nothing, you know, three runs on the board or it's bases loaded. or. And so he's really kind of developed a knack for just staying focused on the mound, staying within the moment. But it always helps if you're left-handed and you have a 97 mile hour fastball for sure. Um, <laughs>
2: yeah, well, that makes sense because that's. I mean, it, again, you take you take uh, Schuster. He's just calm, cool, and collective. He's Not going to show a ton of emotion. And he, Ian's like the opposite. Ian. He, Ian uh, you know, he's got. A, he, as you said, he learned to control his emotions, which is, is you know uh, helped him develop as a pitcher. Not let every pitch. You know, not living and dying with every pitch.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's what he was saying. Now, who do you have in the pipeline? I know every year you've got um, a ton of guys going to college. How are, how is it looking for guys who are, were juniors this year? They're going to be seniors. Did that, are they having a tough time getting offers or do you have a, a lot of guys in the pipeline who are right on track to play college? Yeah, so, I mean, it's, it's
2: one of those, it's one of those things. Uh, yeah. we I think we currently have, I think 12 or 13 kids uh, committed to play division one baseball in the 21 class. Um, but yeah, the, I mean, obviously nobody knows what's going on right now with the COVID situation and it's definitely going to, uh, with adding roster uh, adding extra year for our players, it's going to, it's going to impact uh, college baseball for years to come in my opinion. Um, and then obviously it's going to have a trickle down effect to our high school guys. So it's, um, it's going to have to be creative. And, and from what I'm hearing, the, um, the dead period might get extended to January. So it's going to, it's going to make college coaches make some, you know, some really hard decisions. Um, it's going to be, you know, this is probably one of the hardest years ever to play to, to try to, play college baseball if you're a high school kid. Um, So, you you know, you got to make sure you're doing everything you can to to separate yourself both um, athletically, but more important, academically, because that's what this is. uh, Yeah, the draft is awesome and it's great, but let's go back and look at those three kids that just got drafted. Jared Schuster is a great academic institution. Ian Seymour is at Virginia Tech, great academic institution. Hudson Askins goes to Tulane. You know, went to Tulane, great academic institution. That's the those. I think that gets lost in all this. The draft is great, but it's all about trying to use baseball um, to to get you into a school that you might not be able to get into. And I think that's uh, that's always been our goal. And the draft is great, and we have some good players in the pipeline and all that. But it's all about you know trying to help the kids on it and play at the next level.
0: Yeah, I read a story about Chris Lanzilli. He's at Wake Forest too with Schuster. Yeah. and and he didn't get drafted this year and he was just saying like hey at this point he's going into you know he's going to return for another year at Wake Forest but he's like at this point i'm going to try to take advantage of the uh, the education that Wake Forest has afforded me over the last 4 years and it can't be just about baseball anymore whereas you know if he if you if it was last year he would have definitely been drafted if it was a 40 round draft and he would probably be going pro right now but he's saying just like you said, like I've had this opportunity to go to Wake Forest. It's a great education. I need to start figuring out what I'm going to do after baseball, and that. And if that's next year, it's next year. So I thought he had a good attitude about it, um, even yeah. though, even though he did kind of. He's a guy that probably would have been drafted last year or or this year with a forty round draft. But um, I, thought- I mean, he was drafted
2: last year, and, and you know, obviously he didn't uh, didn't sign, and, and that's Chris Lanzilli is the you know, poster child of how this draft really affected kids. Um, you know, I think Chris was going to be a, you know, between a five and 10 round pick obviously. And, and to, you know, the, that slot money is, is significantly different than, you know, taking 20 grand right now. So yeah, it's, it's a it's an emotional time for Chris and it's a, it's a tough spot to be in. And man, I, I just, I feel for him and, and, you know, I'm glad that he has that positive attitude and trying to work towards getting a a degree because at the end of the day as we all know baseball ends for everybody um he's got to have something to fall back on having a degree is, is uh is a is a good option
0: <laughs> yeah it's a good school <laughs> yeah. so i've been i saw that um one of our guys harold call he was playing down in georgia and there are some um you know prep baseball report perfect game type invitational tournaments down in georgia and some of those southern states seem to be opening up a little earlier what is the summer going to look like for Northeast baseball? Is it, are you, do you, are you expecting to be pretty close to normal or is it going to be like similar to what you've been doing in the spring?
2: Yeah, unfortunately I think uh, it, it changes day by day. Um, you know, that's, you know, it's hard to say what it's going to look like. Uh, we're going to go out and play. That's our goal. Um, we're, we're leaving for, uh, we're going to go play in Alabama next week. Um, at a perfect game event. Uh, We have uh, another team going to Fort Myers to go play down there. So um, we've, we, I think we've all um, you know, we've had zoom meetings with our parents and, and, you know, talked about it as an organization and and if people are comfortable with traveling, then we're going to go, you know, we just don't know what's going to happen up here. We don't even know if we're going to be able to play, uh, you know, in July. Um, So, you know, for us, we just took the, took the opportunity to go play. So we're going to, we're going to, you know, they're playing down there and, You know, we're going to do everything we can to be safe and and follow guidelines and and, uh, you know, understand what we're getting into.
0: Yeah, absolutely. uh, You're right. It does change by the day. Like uh, the Futures League wants to have their season, but we're now two weeks or less than two weeks away. We're about 12 days away and they still haven't had that big announcement that like hey the season's definitely on it's just you know let's take it day by day they haven't had to cancel yet which is good news but um like you said it's all up in the air and you kind of got to do what you can do to make sure these guys have an opportunity to get seen like you said by colleges and um scouts and everything like that but scott Please. i real i really appreciate you t- uh being generous with your time this way it's um congratulations on Getting so many guys recognized and going off to college and a couple of guys going pro too. So it was great having you on the show. I really appreciate you taking the time.
2: Absolutely. appreciate that. Take care. Mike.
0: Thanks for listening to the New England Baseball Journal podcast. Thanks to Red Sox regional scouting director Ray Fagnant and Northeast Baseball founder Scott Patterson for coming on the pod. Visit baseballjournal.com to follow all of our coverage and follow us on Twitter at n e underscore baseball new england baseball journal is a siemens media podcast thanks again for listening